like language is kind of a big thing for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, kind it's of like the only thing I got going. Yeah. Right. And then like that's going to be like totally taken out of the equation more or less. So yeah. that'll be really crazy. You guys want to um, hear a text message I just got from my dad? Sure. Oh, nothing would please me more. Do you want to start using highly encrypted telegram? <laughs> Tom, if you're Telegram. listening, and we know you're listening because you're the only person who listens to this program, oh. we love you. Uh, you are a fantastic person. I There's more, that. though. There's Highly more. encrypted text message. There's Maybe more. Maybe a little with the... He goes, probably all messages go through FSB, but left-right dissidents are switching to it. Your dad is such a badass oh, person. Man. I want that He's... on tape. I, I Thank you for it, listening I, to Tom. I, we really are yeah, grateful. We, we promise not to swear this episode. Dead. I will try my, my best. parents all they do is e- is is email me and text me and say do you have to swear so much on the podcast oh. yeah right. oh, oh. we got a big parental advisory like thing right. on iTunes I yeah, let I people know there's have to do an explicit there's yeah. strong language yeah, yeah I I actually swear a lot more in my normal life than I have like the past two that we've done just cuz my brain from the years in radio it's just like you see the mic like yeah you keep it, but mm-hmm. I mean that's the, the yeah. beauty of podcasts. I think right. you can be much Deanna, more Diana, you can say whatever way. you want. I don't know why I censor myself. Down with censorship. All right, so welcome back, everybody. Um, this is the Arts Fuse podcast. Uh, we have Matt Hansen and Deanna Costa, Hello, and I'm Lucas Spiro. Uh, as I'm sure you all probably know, um, we promise not to swear as much, although the explicit warning is there. For a reason. Do you hear the drum beats of war in the background? <laughs> yeah, we're we're recording on a Saturday, which we don't usually do, which means um uh, a, another Somerville Media Center or SCAD TV. For those of you who remember fondly SCAD TV, uh, another one of their long running programs, uh, DIY something yourself or whatever, or mm. I can't remember exactly what it's called, mm. is actually recording in the studio next to us. So if you hear the drum beats of war, uh, it's because. Uh, that show is also recording. So we share the space here, but also that reminds me that we should probably just give a shout out to Somerville Media Center. Uh, we It's been a while since we thank them for giving us the space and letting us record here. Um, they've got a pop-up studio called like Vox Popular or something Okay. over at Assembly Square. So if you're in the Boston area and want to go to Assembly Square... Uh, you can go check out their new pop-up studio where they've been recording live shows and stuff for Boston Free Radio and other things as well. So thank you, Somerville Media Center. And donate to them. It's a great community space. I mean, like, you just show up and people are here working on all sorts of different projects. Uh, editing film and photo photography and doing talk shows. Um, skits. Skits. Music. Um, music shows. Uh, they've got the Boston Free Radio studios here and, of course, the podcast room. Um, so, yeah. Thanks, Somerville Media Center. A couple of other housekeeping things that we have to get to before we dive into our premium content. <laughs> is that us? What? The ding, ding. No, I think that is also. That is also the DIY people. Fantastic. Um, I like it. It's a good soundtrack. So, that's urgency. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, urgency. 
I mean, that's that's what a guitar sounds like when it's sound of distant buffalo charging on the horizon. Um, I believe that is standard tuning. Yes. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) None of that drop D bullshit. Well, (laughs) Seattle's over, people. I'm I I I like drop D actually. Uh, it's the it's the key in which or not the key. It's the tuning that I use when I play the Deadwood soundtrack or (laughs) 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 guitar. Movie's coming out soon. Lucas will be yes. covering it for the arts. I hope. Piece, I so. hope to be. I might. I might yes. write a thing he about will. that. We're yeah. talking about yeah. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I woke up this morning and I, I watched an episode and a half. I finished season one for the second time. Um, and I mean, like, there's just, there's just a, uh, a really sort of bittersweet moral heart to that program. Mm. You know, the ways in which that, the the people that are operating at the Gem Saloon, elsewhere, Engine Trixie, Doc Cochran. Uh, the 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 cleaning lady Jewel. I mean, they're just a really really dysfunctional family. Is really mm. what they are. And okay. It's, it's 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 quite. It's 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 beautiful. It's sad. It's tragic. It's all these kinds of things. And and uh, it's a it's a bad program, but in a good way. In the ways in which the, like a bad Shakespeare play is still good. Sure. Because you spend your life going like, this makes no sense. Why? Did he write this? Mm-hmm. I have un- I have no understanding of his motivations, mm-hmm. and he's just basically making up words to sound good to get to the next point of the plot, which is completely useless and doesn't actually mean anything. Mm-hmm. So it's good in that way. Um, it's like Cymbeline, basically. <laughs> I, I have no idea what. See, he- we're not cursing. We're using right. highbrow references. Right. This is a classy oh, program. Yeah. I don't know what Cymbeline is about, and I, I don't. Do. And, oh, I and what's Cymbeline about? Cymbeline's a king. Um, and his, uh... feminine-sounding name for a king. It is, really <laughs> enough. Yeah, he's a naughty, naughty king. <laughs> um, and right, it's, he's right, being just, reunited just act, with his... Okay, just act one. Can you tell us what goes on in act one? Of yeah, vaguely. Uh, I read it a long time ago. Can you do it in ago. one minute? I got really into it. Yeah, it's a... It's, it's like an orphan character. Uh, I believe his name is Posthumus, because they think he's dead. I think he died. They oh. think he's died in a battle or something. Right. Think and he's that. being reunited with his long-lost father. You think postmodernism is new? Right. Shakespeare had a character named po- oh, Postmodernism. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, he had characters like, named yeah. Bottom. Right. Bottom in the 1600s he means had, ass, in, basically. Right. He's ass bottom, man. Yeah. I mean, he, right. uh, uh, Not in, vulgar. Shakespeare, Shakespeare. In A Winter's Tale. Yeah. Um, the kid's name, the little prince that's like an orphan kid or whatever. Yeah. His name basically means like tit boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like right, ma- right. like ma- it's like mammogram or whatever. Mam- yeah. Mammarous or Mammar- whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Oh yeah. Troilus and Cressida. Right. Like I got really into reading like the lesser known Shakespeare for a while, because then you get bragging rights, because like who read Cymbeline? Who's read Troilus and Cressida, right? Hi. Nobody has. And what's funny is is that Troilus and Cressida is dirty as all get out. It's just <laughs> jokes about syphilis. Left, oh. right, and center. Okay. It's a guy sabotaging someone else's relationship for the hell of it. And doing it by convincing one of them, or, or like pretending, or at, trying to convince one of them, one of the other, that the other one has syphilis, or like he has it, or something. So he's like out of spite, like messing with yeah. their relationships. And it's like Troilus and Cressida are like old um, lovers, and I think uh, Chaucerian oh, literature. Okay. So it's like this like high high flying love story but he's doing it as basically like a nasty sex comedy you can do it as as an absolutely like just raunchy dark kind of it's like it's a problem play it's kind of a comedy it's kind of a drama they don't really know how to categorize it because it's like jokes about 
whatever nasty right. jokes about syphilis and wanton sex. And, a little messed up. Yeah, totally. And the motivation for the character is basically pure spite. Right. Get like six young like... soldiers yeah. to carry my coffin. Mm. Six young girls to sing me a song, and each of them carry a bunch of green laurel. So they don't smell me as they carry me along. Yeah. <laughs> Song about, about syphilis. Uh, yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, from uh, Buster Scruggs. Isn't it, it is in Buster Scruggs. That's an old yeah. Irish song, isn't it? It's also in Deadwood. Um, oh, okay. It's um, it's a. Uh, there's lots. Great, of, like, there's lots of. Yeah, there's lots of different versions of that song. Yeah, I want to um, say I'm some really are like, British, some are Scottish, some are Irish, some are American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just want to say that I'm really intrigued by Deadwood because I read this book about uh, TV and like the TV Renaissance, and they were. T- Talking about David Milch. This is Clive James' book? No, no, no. This is a different, oh, different book. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, I don't remember if he liked Deadwood or not. But uh, he did like Game of Thrones, which we should talk about a little bit. Yes, because so by good. golly, everyone else in the world is. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the thing that intrigued me about David Milch is apparently the dude is uh, this, like, literary prodigy. He, like, graduated from Yale at 20 or whatever and, like, edited some anthology of literature. And he's also, like, a manic... Or he, he is or was or whatever, like, an alcoholic, heroin addict, manic oh, depressive. So he wrote, like, 50 episodes of, like, NYPD Blue, basically, like, guzzling whiskey and, like, running around his room, like, acting out the parts and stuff. Oh, wow. And he was kind of, like, the house genius for, like, the NYPD Blue show. Yeah. yeah. So they were just, like, yeah, he just, he does, he breaks a table because he just, he's, he's in that zone today. And but we'll he'll just let him do something. And they'll just, whatever, because okay. he's going to crank out new material. Right. And so Deadwood was, like, his, his, like, dream project. Oh. So I'm like, okay, I like mad literary geniuses. David, uh, yeah, David, I'm about it. David, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm David Milch, I think his name is. David Milch, yeah. yeah. And he's, Did you I, already say his name? I wasn't listening. I think so. All right. I, I don't, I, <laughs> that makes three of them. <laughs> so I'm interested in like what he would do with with this like yeah. insane Western. Right. You know what I mean? Having that backstory now, I feel like a lot of the details you were telling me about. Right. We were talking sense. about it before. Yeah. 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 I, I watched a couple of them this morning and because that's how I was dealing with my hangover. <laughs> was just watching these people who drink all the time. Yeah. Who must be just dealing? Who, who are just drunk and and or hungover? Yeah, yeah, they never get all, hungover because yeah. they just keep just, drinking. There's just, they're just yeah. whiskey right. all the time, just whiskey, whiskey, whiskey. I was like, why right. don't we live in a world? in a hot climate too? So you're dehydrated, no. you're feeling it. Oh, we're in, in the, the show. Hot climate. No, in the no, show, the show they're, no, in the, they're, they're in, in the desert, right? No, they're in the Dakotas. Okay, okay. So big sky country. They don't mm-hmm. get to winter time in the show yet. Well, they they cancel the show after three seasons, right? And like the like the amount of time that gets covered in the show is only I think like six months or something. Oh, oh wow! You know, so it's not like it doesn't take. I mean, it, a lot of stuff happens, yeah. But uh, in a short amount of in a short period of time, but so they don't get cold yet, right? It's interesting too how much people had to deal with on a daily basis to survive in the what eighteen hundreds. Oh, I think about it's that the, kind of yeah. stuff all the time, right? Yeah. I mean, you're doing everything yourself, pretty much, right. unless you have money. Right. But you're you're doing your crops, you're cleaning the house, you're you know, raising the children, you're doing all of Making it hands on. Pissing yeah. in chamber pots. Yeah. Pissing in chamber pots, yeah. cleaning out the chamber pots, like yeah. cooking every meal. Well, I don't know how much cleaning out of the chamber pots though, They just kinda like, dump them right Yeah, yeah. dump yeah. them out the yeah. window, yeah. 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 So bathing just... takes forever. Like everything oh, yeah, is like <laughs> they, what they yeah. like showered. They're not showered, but like bathed like once a month, right? Or less. This right? is yeah. great, because you would too if you were carrying buckets right. from the river. Right. You There's this I mean? incredibly like revolting character named Evie Farnham who runs the hotel in Deadwood, and he also becomes like sort of honorary mayor as well. But he's like this like super Shakespearean character in which like like half of his 
of his lines or monologue. Oh, uh, sure. Or, you know, or, or um, this thing where you talk to the audience. Soliloquy. Soliloquy. So he basically talks to himself. So he's basically in soliloquy most of the time. Sure. <laughs> and he's walking like he's all pissed off because he's just kind of like a, a useful idiot to the people that are actually quite powerful in the town. And he steps in like a puddle of something on his way back and he goes like, Quagmire of pissing bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like a, which is basically like a summary of what their lives are like. Honestly, I was gonna say that would be a great clip to just have on hand for yeah. a lot of reasons. Absolutely, <laughs> recorded perpetually it. relevant. Yeah. Yes. No, so like most of my day, I go around and like whenever something pisses me off, quagmire of piss and bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God we're a family uh, show. Otherwise, we would name right. that episode that. I'm going to get back to the housekeeping. <laughs> so, uh, in June, the Arts Fuse turns 12. Yes. We've been around for 12 years. And um, we're very uh, proud we are of all of it. 12 years is a lot for an independent it online is. magazine. Oh, it is. The fact run, that we're, the fact that we're still around. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, edited and, and, and run and yes, uh, coordinated. That's, that's no, our, no, but, but, but edited, run, coordinated, uh, assigned, and pretty much everything done with the Swiss Army Blade, my, Swiss Army Knife mind of Mr. William Marks. Yeah. Bill Marks, I yeah. mean, lots of people contribute and lots of people are, are adding stuff all the time. People are editing. It's a group thing. Yeah. But it really is, in a lot of ways, Bill just soldiering through this. Oh, yeah. So big he, props to Bill. Absolutely the spearhead of everything. Yeah, yeah. which is a lot. And he's yeah. working full time, you know? I yeah. mean, this is really the kind of thing you have to do to do independent media now because otherwise, you know, who else is going to do it? Mm-hmm. You know, the state isn't going to give you a gajillion dollars to do it. No. Hint, hint. Big wigs. A gajillion. That's what we want. Yeah, we need grants. But in in, uh, in the lead up to uh, the the birthday of the Arts Fuse every year, Bill does have, or he does promote what, what we call our annual Spring Appeal. Uh, we're looking to get $5,000 for the Arts Fuse, which doesn't sound like a lot of money, but to us, it does go a long way. Uh, so you can get tons more coverage of the arts in the Boston area and beyond for uh, just a few thousand dollars. And as of this morning, we are at uh, $1,450. Wow. Uh, so we've raised $75 overnight. hey <laughs> Pretty good. So that's yeah. not too bad. Uh, and uh, we're trying to get to 5000 And if you donate $100 or more, you get a uh, T-shirt. Yes. It's not our current logo on the T-shirt, no. <laughs> unfortunately, not. but mm. that's all right. Uh, and it's got a Jonathan Swift quote on the back. It's right with the point of your pen, not the feather. Can't uh, beat that. Can't no. beat that because Jonathan Swift is, is a baller. <laughs> so uh check us out both uh online at the website where you can read everything on the magazine and also donate at artsfuse.org artsfuse.org or you can check us out on social media facebook twitter all that kind of stuff and donate through there and uh if you want to support through the podcast because the, the podcast is designed or is supposed to be supporting the magazine as well you can go to the arts fuse uh podcast patreon page which is patreon.com slash the arts fuse and you can become a monthly subscriber for just a few bucks and become an arts fuse nick and uh that goes to making the show better uh keeping the show running uh and also paying our writers and supporting the magazine as well so you can do that uh if you'd like but to start off we're going to talk about some of the hit singles that are in oh yes in 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 the world right now uh because Deanna Costa has written a piece detailing the rise of country rap Absolutely. Uh, mostly inspired by the existence of a tune that you probably saw if you're on the Instagrams 
if you're on the Twitters, mm -hmm. if you're on the Facebooks, yep. the TikTok, uh, the, the TikTok yep. which is a new one. Yeah. Uh, I'm not. I mean, I'm in the not totally sure. I know what TikTok is. I'm mm. a little past it myself. Really? I've never used it. Right. But okay. My my general understanding through secondhand explanation is that it's basically like a um, a callback to Vine. I don't know if you. I kind of remember Vine. Yeah. Vine, which I also did not use, but I know like a lot of people my age were big. It's kind of like. YouTube in like a ten second clip. I think it's six seconds. It may, yeah, yeah maybe yeah. six. I yeah. did enjoy They're the disposable. Vines. Yes. I disappear after. Yeah. I consumed yeah. the vines, but okay. I did not participate in the vines. Okay. But they are some of them are very funny. There are a lot of them um, in uh, <laughs> almost like anthologies on YouTube. Mm. You can kind of go back and watch a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think TikTok's on the same idea wavelength. They're like short little videos, and it's a social media platform. And so that was how. This guy, Lil Nas X, got his start. I think I called him a one-man mean machine because that was pretty right. much how he made himself <laughs> famous through um, TikTok and Twitter and just kept like pushing out his single Old Town Road until it was picked up by Billy Ray Cyrus and remixed and then like kind of exploded after that in like early April, so a little over a month ago. And so, where's uh, Little Nas X from? Where's he hail from? Uh, Atlanta, I believe. Okay. Yes, mm. but I think he, I think he may live in Kentucky now. Like, there's something about he was going to college, and his parents really wanted him to stay in, and he was like, "No, I really want to do music. Like, school's not for me." And so they were like, "Well, we're not gonna help you out anymore." So he lives with his sister. Right. So I can't remember if it was that his sister still lives in Atlanta or if he now lives in Kentucky with her because yeah. that was what um, pulled Billy Ray in was because the Old Town Road is actually a place in Kentucky. And so he, he heard it and got very like reminiscent and was like, I want to work with this guy. Oh, cool. Yeah. And what so, a nice like, cultural man, mm -hmm, you know? Yeah. 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 And, and uh, as, as we've spoken in the past before, this, this new sort of, uh, a fad or phenomenon of, of country rap raises lots of questions about uh, genres, about mixing of genres, yes. about you know the inheritance of different cultures and, and the combining of them, how a song becomes famous, and uh, the caption on the photograph of Lil Nas X here says he's an inspiration for copycats across America's heartland, uh, which is I guess it could be a good thing or a bad thing, yeah. you know, kind Depends of agnostic I guess, it, yeah. but also just like looking at his name, Lil Nas X shows that he's kind of a pastiche yep. of certain things. And so, yeah, yeah. And, and, and pastiche is always a fun little um, uh, uh, trope to think about and talk about when we're talking about sort of art in the, the post-postmodern world. Uh, and so Lil, it's a very famous hip-hop name, mm -hmm. or you can apply attach it to just about anything. Nas, very specific mm -hmm. reference to one of the, the greatest rappers of all time. Uh, and then X, perhaps DMX or something like that. So yeah. even his name is a is a pushing together of various different, perhaps, influences yes. or something like that. And so yeah. is this new country rap uh, a parody? Is it a sincere artistic endeavor? Is it uh, only because of its rise to fame through social media? Is that why we know about it or care about it? Or is there something larger going on? Yeah, yeah I definitely think it's a combination of all of that. Like, there's almost no question in my mind that if it weren't for social media, most people wouldn't know who this guy is. Just because you think about his situation, right? Like, he's really young. I think he's either 18 or 19. He's got, like, little to no resources. He's in, like, a pretty, I would say, like, 
secluded place, you yeah. know, like he's not in New York, so, he's not in LA. No, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. the fact that he is able to pretty much self publish himself and self promote himself, like I think, yeah, it pretty much wouldn't happen otherwise. And so that's where I think a lot of the copycat stuff is going to come in is people are going to realize like, oh, wow, I can make my own song because the, there's, I would say like a decent part of the either underground or up and coming rap community that hops right on YouTube and grabs beats and like that's how they get started. Or the the, the way that SoundCloud rap is, is right. basically its own genre now. Yeah, you know, absolutely it's, it is. It's, uh, you know, shorter songs, yep. usually with some sort of similar kind of like almost xanax inspired yeah aesthetic. absolutely <laughs> and yeah. uh and uh and it's you know people putting their stuff online basically almost for free you yeah. know and and then, it, yeah. and then the music becomes this internal sort of self-contained online community and stuff yeah. yeah like you can go to soundcloud and see what are the top tunes on yeah it. you know and obviously it's people like um juice world and yes. you know uh little uzi vert you yeah. know he's a little bit bigger than soundcloud now i think um yeah and uh uh Takeshi Six Nine yeah. and you know all these all these really really weird depressed like teenagers yeah. essentially who are basically talking about how sad they are and how they're high on Xanax mm-hmm. which but I mean like that's I guess that's the world we live in now it's it's um, pretty representative yeah. yeah yeah it really is <laughs> honestly that the generation coming up. I was going to say, I don't mean to, like, pigeonhole you age-wise, but you're a little younger and closer to the hub. It's true, yeah, yeah. it is. And it's funny, too, that um, I think as far as, like, people I know that are at least in, like, the Boston rap game, it's it's funny how a lot of people utilize SoundCloud and they, they still kind of, like, pay those dues. But at the same time, if you were to flat out, like, call someone directly, like, a SoundCloud rapper, it's a bit of an insult. Hmm. It's just, like you're pretty you're pretty low you know like your lab yeah. you're not really you're a amateur you're an amateur yeah yeah and so this guy it's it's very interesting to me how he kind of went right around all of that and was like you know like i think he he probably does have a soundcloud too but he used um his small following on his twitter and his tiktok from I think really came from like the little kind of like comedic skits and things he would do and mm-hmm. po- or like memes that he because that's the other thing too that I think I talked about in the article is that a part of the reason why country doesn't want to embrace him is because the rap community isn't afraid to make fun of itself and they do quite a lot and that's where like absolutely I think the whole question of is this partially parody I think that's totally fair to say and I, I'm pretty sure that in interviews, he's also said that it's like being a little silly. He's not mm-hmm. really, and he doesn't see himself necessarily as a country singer, but he also, if someone were to say like, oh, this is a country song, like he's not going to flip his lid about that. It's either. on the country charts. Yes. Or it was at it, some point. Yeah. It was, it was originally um, before Billy Ray added his verse and did the remix and then they took it off because they said it wasn't like country enough for the mm. purists. Um, and then when he came back in and did the remix, then they got him back on the Billboard charts. But a lot of people felt like the um, the kind of like people at the top in Nashville were really trying to attribute what made it country almost yeah. to Billy Ray and like his contribution. Right. 
And he was not having that. Yeah. And he was like, no, it wouldn't even be a song if it weren't for a little Nas X. Right. So we got to like give him the due. And totally. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Because he's definitely the, the like bigger fish here. Billy oh, Ray yeah. Cyrus is a lot of money yeah, and a lot of absolutely, influence. Yeah. And to like totally give to credit where well. credit's due yeah. is, is a really solid yeah. doing the guy a solid. Well, he's already got you know everything he needs achy breaky that's true well i was gonna say that's that's the bona fide that really you know he's he's allowed to he he can have largesse because he's made it he's given the world such a a gem oh an immortal tune you know in in achy breaky heartbreak and you know i love that song i mean uh it's a guilty pleasure uh, line dance he's the father of some pop singer that no one's ever heard of i mean line dancer line dancers everywhere pop singers yes you know at at every bar mitzvah and wedding and you know 15 year old's birthday party and quinceanera and all that kind of stuff we line dancers everywhere thank billy ray cyrus yeah, I'd I didn't know that was so. like a bar mitzvah thing. Line dancing. Line dancing. I've never been. to Well, I mean, the horror is a line dance. Well, no, the horror. Yeah, horror is a line dance, yeah. but it's not okay. But yeah, but I mean, like the the steps for achy breaky heart are you know, very, like yeah. you you got to balance the cultures. Sure. You know, where oh. you need both the cha cha slide, the achy breaky heart, the electric uh, slide, uh, the the macarena, and the horror. Yeah. You know, because then you you've really touched all the bases there. Right on. On a cultural level. And isn't that kind of a beautiful thing about living in the 21st century? <laughs> right? That's the thing. Like, you would never, in the 50s, this would not have fl- flown. None right. of this. Yeah, None of this would have possibly right. flown. Yeah, no. Or the 70s or the 80s. But nowadays, people are like, I don't know, what the hell? Country rap. Right. Let's well, I mean, it, yeah. so yeah. it's not the only one out there, uh, as Deanna no. writes about in, in her piece. She's also got Bubba Sparks' Country Folks, yep. uh, Lil Tracy and Lil Uzi Vert, Like a Farmer, yep. Upchurch, uh, a white dude on the list with Rolling Stoned. Yes. And uh, and those are, the, those are the songs that you profile here. So tell us a little bit about the other ones on this list and, and, and maybe broaden the scope of this this country rap stuff. And yeah. Whether it's parody or whether it's a genre mix-up or, you know, the in what ways it's sincere and what ways it's making fun of itself or making fun of, you know, the idea of genre right. itself perhaps. You know? I think, yeah, I think it does kind of come at the concept of genre in general too. Mm-hmm. And like what, what defines a genre? Why does it need confines necessarily? Yeah. But it's definitely, it kind of depends on each individual if they consider themselves a rapper, a country singer, a country rapper, like, I think they all come from different motivations and different standpoints. And for some people, I think, like, I would say, like, Upchurch, he's not the best. I threw him on there because he's kind of, it's kind of funny to me. Like, he, he, I think, is someone who, even though he's not particularly great, he is kind of coming from a genuine place. Like, okay. he really does, like, the, yeah. um, the, like, rap beats that he includes and, he appreciates that sort of influence, kind right. of like the reverse of Lil Nas X almost, where it's like he's coming from the standpoint of rap and appreciates the themes of country and sees like where they could cross over. Upchurch is like the opposite. Like he's very solidly has a country singer kind of sound. Yeah. Um, and I will say too, though, his are kind of like all over the place. You listen to some of his songs and you're like, oh. He's, he sings like a country singer. And then there's other ones where he's like trying to do some sort of like hard spitting rap thing. And yeah. it just is not good it at all. It just does not fly. It does not yeah, work. Can't but, sell it. Yeah. but he, I think he does appreciate it. It's, but he also does consider himself a comedian. So there is like the layer of, it's like genuine 
but also parody and kind of like making fun of yourself in a genuine way. I yeah. Think. What about the ways in which so which like is a in, good the, thing. in the picture that we have him in the article here, mm-hmm. um, he wears a camo hat. Yes. With, with the Confederate flag on it. Yes. You know, I mean, like that's it's a bold move. <laughs> yeah. Especially the, to try but, to be in that you know, little yeah. subgenre. But at the same yeah. time, it's like in many parts around the world, you know, like Confederate flags are ubiquitous, you know. Right. Or not the world. Well, yes, around the world, but also in America, too. So like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And in places that aren't necessarily the geographic south. Yeah, Right. Because you were saying if you're from upstate New York right. and you see them everywhere. They're everywhere. Right. And yeah. it's... And New Hampshire is New Hampshire. Oh, absolutely, yeah. New Hampshire. Yeah. I think a lot of people see it far less. Like, I think... I don't know, any reasonable person knows that you can't just totally separate what that real connotation was and what it actually stood for. Right. But I do know that people that wave or wear that flag, they really do separate it in their heads. And to them, it's about some sort of like culture heritage that they have, which is also kills me in upstate New York, which fed the union, like how they could consider it part of their culture is bizarre to me. But I think now it's definitely becoming newly politicized and it's becoming sort of a, a way for all of the rural folk to band together against those dang PC lefties. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like, again, like Upchurch, I, I don't know enough about him to say if that, was like his thought or if he's just a good old southern boy that's that's just like everybody in his town has that in their wardrobes and they don't even think about it you know? right there's that too yeah totally i mean some of the southern states they still have like partially confederate flags in their state flag like georgia is one of them sure yeah, so it's it's there's highway major highways named after Robert E. Lee. Oh my God, or so many schools Calhoun named after or, e. Lee, you know after um, Calhoun. Stonewall Jackson. Yep, yep, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that part of the South is definitely it's it's something that I think if this genre does continue to sort of expand, like I think it will. Yeah. Um, it's something that they're all gonna try to have to come to terms with, much like the country in general. I think. Sure. So I think that's why this is like a good time for it to blow up because we need more crossing lines. We need people to yeah. come together and find commonalities. And I right. really do think that a lot of the the lyrics to a lot of the country rap songs it just overlays how. Their worlds are very similar. So let's move on, though, uh, to uh, a television review, uh, not from Peg Aloy, who is often our television critic. She has a column called Watch Closely, 
uh, where she talks a lot about the shows that I know a bunch of you are watching. But this was a crowd favorite on the websites. So we're reaching back a couple of weeks here, and we uh, aim to do nothing but please on the arts views. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about a show called Barry, which is an HBO show starring uh, Bill Hader. And um, this review was written by Matt Hansen. Hey! So... Uh, good for him. <laughs> so, um, uh, in his introduction to, uh, in the piece, he, 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 you can see how old it is because it goes back to the Battle of the Long Night episode yeah. of Game of Thrones. Yeah. Where he and says, uh, that was mostly, the, that was the TV event that people were talking about, but, uh, the H, uh, but the show, um, Barry comes on right after it. So maybe people watch it, maybe people don't. And, um. He says the show uh, had the misfortune to follow that memorable showdown with an epic battle of its own. Barry starring Saturday Night Live's Bill Hader as a former Cleveland-based hitman trying to break into acting in L.A. is halfway through its second season and has finally started to hit its stride as a mirthfully dark comedy drama. After the amusing manic zaniness of last week's episode, this is a few weeks ago, uh, called Ronnie Lilly, all bets regarding to where the show can go are now officially off. Uh, Hater won an Emmy for Best Leading Man, and HBO has seen fit to renew the series for a third season, so there's some added momentum. So, Matt, what is Barry? Why do we care about it? And have the has the prediction of all bets being off of where it's going to go proven in the last couple of weeks to be uh, worth it, accurate? You know, is it is it still, over the last couple of weeks, uh, proving to be worth watching? Yeah. Um, so Barry, uh, so the premise is Barry is a hitman from Cleveland. He is a um, ex um, special ops in Afghanistan. He's a he's a soldier, and or an ex soldier. And while he was in Afghanistan, I believe he, they call those veterans. Veterans. Yes. yes. Uh, I was trying to think. I was like, he's, what do you call him? Yeah. <laughs> um, a warrior. A warrior. Um, <laughs> and he. Um, so the thing with, with his uh, war experience is that he's a mild-mannered, introverted, kind of intense person, and we find out, sort of as the show progresses, it tells you more of his backstory, that he had a really big moment in his life where he like was able to shoot somebody and like was rewarded for it, everybody was proud of him, and he felt like a stud, and he, it was the one thing he could do in his life that he finally found made uh, him worthwhile. So he is in the uh, in this in the sway of a slimy, manipulative, uh, kind of enigmatic con man named Fuchs, who is played by Stephen Ray uh, Stephen Ree. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Stephen Root. Stephen Root, who is um, on news radio. He was the eccentric news station owner, Jimmy James, on news radio. Uh, he was Milton on uh, Office Space. Oh, okay. and was not ever a piece of cake. And he's really, really good in this in the sense of just this guy who's kind of brainwashed Barry into having him, into hiring him as his personal hitman. So that's, gotcha. that's his, his deal. Kind of like an thing. Yeah. And so he, so Barry finds his way in LA uh, to do a hit and, and stumbles basically into an acting class. And he gets really into being an actor. And he wants to be kind of a scuffling actor. And he's got a lot of emotions, but he's too kind of, um, uh, repressed to be able to really express them with these little moments where that happens. Mm. Meanwhile, he's got this hitman thing happening and he wants to kind of get out of that. Um, it's not that he loves killing people at all. It's more that it's just the thing he could find a task he learned how to do. Right. And he's really trying to find some kind of emotional expression. Uh, and while he's in LA, he's working with these Chechen uh, mafia types 
Um, and there's part of what I say about Mirthfully Dark is that what what Barry sort of does is there's the darkness of Barry as a hitman and his emotional turmoil, and then there's also the kind of like groovy L.A. actor milieu. Right. So he has this acting teacher named Mr. Cusino, who's played by Henry Winkler, the oh, Fonz himself. I love him. Yeah, who's he's awesome. Hysterical. He's great, and I think he's a Boston guy. And um, he uh, he's kind of this, like, washed-up acting coach who kind of pretends like he's this great, you know, thespian. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of trying to get Barry to kind of get in touch with his, you know, inner inner feelings. And uh, and then there's Noho Hank, who is the head of the Chechen Mafia, who has totally gone Californication <laughs> and talks in these goofy, like, terms about, like, self-actualization. He, wrote, he like, sends him uh, inspirational quotes. Right? Yes, he yeah. sends him inspirational yeah. quotes on his phone about, don't yeah. worry, man, you can do this, hang in there, shoot that guy in the head. <laughs> you know? And he totally, like, doesn't realize what a goofball he is. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the tone of the show. It's We were saying uh, uh, the other day about... Um, how it's kind of like weeds in the sense right. it's making fun of the suburbs. Right. We and, and weeds had kind of more of like a playful, colorful sort of twee quality. This is more like a Coen Brothers sense of kind of gallows humor. Mm. Uh, and Barry is likable and has a lot of like sort of humanity. And they don't make Barry into this like stone cold killer. They kind of like highlight his insecurities and his goofiness right. uh, in a certain way. And so um, that's what makes that's the like that's the premise of the show. And it has been kind of chugging along pretty interestingly. I. I I wrote about seasons one and two, but the Ronnie Lilly episode really blows the doors wide open because it it basically um, there's this tradition in TV. um, I don't know how many shows have done it, but I know all in the family did it and they might've been pioneering to do it. There's a famous Sopranos episode where they, um, they get stuck in the pine barrens, right? Where, where Christopher and Polly and they're trying to bury a body. Yeah. Yeah. And they, and the guy runs off and they're just stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And so in, in All in the Family, there's, a, there's an episode where Archie um, locks himself in the basement accidentally, and he just kind of wanders around the basement. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like a filler episode almost, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. where, where you, you just put the actors in a room, and, right. and, you, and you allow their characters to sort of emerge in this very, very confined space. Yeah. You know, most shows do have an episode right. like this. Um, uh, Breaking Bad, famously, the Fly episode, yes. where they're trapped but the door gets locked in their meth lab oh yeah and then uh walter white essentially spends the entire time just trying to kill a fly right you know yeah yeah and it's that sense of like throw away all the plot strands we're just going to do this crazy deep dive and so the ronnie lily is this hit he's trying to do on this guy in uh his little suburban pad in in la and he (laughs) he he's there to kill the guy he decides he doesn't want to try to do it tries to like kind of negotiate around this the guy's a taekwondo expert, uh, so there's this kind of slapstick fight, and then at one point, his like 12-year-old daughter shows up in her karate outfit, and so he's like, oh god, and she sees Barry, so that has to be dealt with. Turns out, the daughter is, he refers to her as a uh, feral mongoose from hell, <laughs> <laughs> so just let your imagination run with that, and so it's literally just, it just just takes off and it's just this kind of i say like a tom and jerry quality because eventually they're like she's she's jumping she's uh jumping on a roof she's like jumping on a car like he gets these stitches that don't work glue becomes part of the situation um and it's just all everything goes crazy and then there's a uh and then it doubles down after you think the big fight has been settled it reinitiates in a like uh uh late night supermarket 
or whatever. So it's oh. like they're playing like late night supermarket music and everyone's mm-hmm. out there shopping. And then there's another rough and tumble oh fight in the gosh. middle of nowhere. And by the end of the episode, like all the plot strands that have been carried along are just boop. And we're back to like ground zero now. So the show just kind of blew up all of its premises in like oh. one episode, which is really gutsy. I, I was like, going to really, say that is yeah. like a pretty ballsy thing. It's to do. a totally ballsy move. Or they wrote themselves into a corner. Yeah, and that's then they're like, true. you know what? Yeah. yeah. Forget it. We're let's, just going to have everybody the, shoot each other. Hit the do reset button on this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Everybody yeah. just shoots each other. So they they they, they uh yeah. they, they they gave us a contract for a third season. We don't know what to do. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Leave everything open. Right. And uh, and I watched it with my uh, brother and his wife, who do watch the show, who who are already fans of the show, and my parents, who'd never seen the show before. So everybody's kind of in a different space while right, they're watching it, right. but we all laughed at the same points. We all like kind of were on the edge of our seats at the same points. Right. So I I love it when when any work of art can do that with the initiated yeah. and the newbies yeah. can get everybody in on the same page on that. So I thought it was a masterful episode, and the fact that it had to follow um, the epic showdown of showdowns for Game right. of Thrones it was on right after. It, literally the next thing. I gotcha. So anybody watching HBO that night, and there were millions, were into some mad slapstick right. that no one's ever you know anticipated before. Um, so it has kept up its its tone, and I the first season I thought had some interesting like overtures to that, right. and luckily they kept they kept that up and really kind of wanted to. Um, accentuate that because there's a lot of really great moments where like barry's working with his actor actress girlfriend who wants to like do this like really intense monologue and like the entire time she's kind of talking about like her process and like all these kind of i mean they make sense and i respect acting it's just but it it sounds kind of goofy la stuff about like you know like i don't know like i really need to get into a character and it gotta be my zone and like i don't know if i'm really expressing myself meanwhile poor barry it has like all of the mental issues yeah i want to i want to sort of get back to this this um just this thing about him being a veteran as part Mm -hmm. of his character and so Mm -hmm. um you know, we, we, we've seen this type of character in many, many ways. Obviously, this is a, a, a new way of looking at it. But the veteran coming back to society and yeah, having absolutely. to adapt to society and all that kind of stuff. And so, in one sense, he's dealing with, obviously, some sort of PTSD uh, because of the way in which he's uh, perpetuated his uh, ability to kill and using that to, you know, make money and all that kind of stuff. But then also wanting to become an actor. So, like... It's as if the the person come back from from war can't do anything but act as if they're okay or act as if oh, they're yeah. you know part of part oh, yeah. of society again of you know society. and so I wonder is there some he element... wants so badly yeah. to be a normal person right and yeah. I wonder is yeah. there some element of critique here about uh you know the the way in which America does often send its people off into the world for mm-hmm. very what 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 appears to them probably at the time no better no no good reason other than to go and be paid and rewarded for killing people yeah. you know in mm-hmm. in service of what you know we're told national security we're yeah. told you know yep. uh, American you know Interests. dominance interest yep. and all yep. that kind of stuff yep. protecting, protecting the homeland and all that kind of you know yep. and protecting the innocent people at a certain wherever. point you know many soldiers realize no I'm not doing that what I'm doing is I'm I'm serving the interests of you know, super rich people who, being yeah, pawns. you know, being yeah. pawns yeah. for, for yeah. the, the military industrial complex or whatever. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's certainly an interesting premise in that sense. I mean, like we saw Don Draper was mm-hmm. a veteran, 
and he comes back and basically Has takes a on a new new life. Yep. But his being a veteran was him getting away from his crap life to go and basically pretend to be something else. Yes. So it's a continuation of a, of a, of a uh, character trait that existed before he became a soldier. Yep. For Barry, perhaps there was like an actual like there there was a change in him in becoming a soldier. And so yeah. then coming back to real life after having discovered himself as as a killer. How does he adapt to real life? That's that's, that's oh, yeah. quite an interesting premise, Definitely and, and I think I think there's there's certainly something there to be said about uh, uh, the frivolousness that we often treat human life. Oh yeah. Oh totally. Yeah, and the the ways that people get pushed into the military in sure. this country, because like you were saying that he never really felt a lot of gratification until he went in. Yeah. And was like, oh, this is something people are finally like rewarding me for it's totally like he's one of the boys now yeah he's finally cool right because he was able to you know you think back to high school you think about the people that were like oh my god like like dead set on joining the military as soon as they turned 18 they were outsiders they were outcasts they were people who wanted nothing more than to be accepted as part of a crew and to have something to be proud of to have some be proud of to have other people be proud of them yep and especially the family uh pride and acceptance and because i mean there, I'm sure there are certain families in the country that wouldn't, you know, really cheer you on for it. But I think more often than not, the way American, almost like American exceptionalism creates intense patriotism, mm. it ends up being that the the kid that goes off to the military is like the golden child nine times out of ten. Oh, unless sure. Unless the self-destruction that typically comes from with military service starts to yeah. get into the fold, which it usually does. Mm-hmm. And especially, like, from my point of view, yeah. being in a family where we've literally had someone in the military every generation since the American Revolution. Like, probably before you that in other countries. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's all very, very spot on that you you do not come back the same. It takes a long time um, to to even feel remotely a part of society again. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, the PTSD is very real. And it's like, what do you do? And it's also that I think as time goes on from conversations, you know, like with my dad just being retired last year and his buddies and other people that I know that are vets, like... There becomes a moment in most veterans' lives if you're in long enough. It's different if you're, like, you did one duty, you're done. But if you're, like, a career military person, you tend to start to, like you said, like, have that realization that you're a pawn. And then it becomes kind of like a resentment of American culture in general. Like, I know a lot, a lot, a lot of veterans that don't like it when people thank them for their service. Mm. And it's just because it... It's like they are trying to just live their day, right. and yeah. now you're bringing it back yeah. up again. Yeah, and it's like don't you don't you, you don't you don't yes. know what my service was. You don't yes. know what I gave up, yes. and, and you don't know what 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 I was told to do, yes. and all this kind of stuff. It's, and so it's kind of like so, almost self serving to the person. It's saying patronizing. It. It, it is yeah. patronizing. Yeah. Right. yeah, it's like oh now I feel like I did yeah. something nice. It's today. it's a performance on the person who's saying I'm letting you know that I'm yeah. down with the whole thing, yeah, and exactly. like I'm the good person who says thank you for your service yeah, and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. I mean. 
we see it in our in our sports events too. I mean, oh like the one. Absolutely. If I were dictator, one of the things I would first, <laughs> the first thing I do would get rid of all of the gross militaristic nationalism at sporting events. Yeah, yeah. I, and like I would just you know in in a single stroke I would say like yeah, no more absolutely. national anthem, mm-hmm. no more flyovers, no more you know honoring vets like, at yeah, you know in the seventh inning all that kind of stuff. Whatever, like yeah. yes, we 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 respect the veterans, we love them, and we want them to you know live happy healthy lives and not be sent over across you know to right. some ridiculous some some country in ridiculous endeavor to be killed or kill right. we don't want them to do that but at the same time it's quite it's quite gross the ways in which we 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 do valorize mm-hmm. this, this militarism oh, in yeah. the US society and even even at things like college graduations yeah. like i was at my best friends at NC State last weekend in Raleigh North Carolina and they oh my god the the place practically crumbled down at the roars when they were you know like they had to take the moment to honor the troops and say a whole big mm-hmm. thing for all the veterans and people were doing like a standing ovation it was like i'm not gonna friggin' stand okay like like i said like and you're parents, a military brat yes and exactly. you know about yeah. what it's like yeah. <laughs> and i'm like yeah. i'm not gonna do it because you know the real motivation i can tell you nine times out of ten it's like all the things we talked about the feeling of being like accepted of the camaraderie but then it's also i need benefits yeah i I need a job and Mm -hmm. i don't either i don't want to or i can't go to college right um i want my family to accept me and carry on a tradition or there are a very small number of people that truly believe in the cause and i wonder about their sanity and then there's another very small number of people who realize that Technically, like, when you take military oaths, you're not, there's no part that says, like, I'm defending U.S. citizens, I'm defending the President of the United States. No, you're defending the Constitution, Mm -hmm. the U.S. Constitution, and it's very specifically designed, because technically in the military, you always go by your last order given. So if, you know, um, say an admiral gives some group of ship like a fleet of ships a certain order and the president says actually admiral you're gonna do this he he can go back and say no we're defending the constitution we're not defending the president's opinion you're gonna do what i said and it's this and it's it basically a lot of people i don't think realize that it is almost designed so that if the military wanted to pull a coup it's almost like constitutionally valid that they could do that because we were talking before the show about how, I mean, like, this is probably not the time and place, but how um, the way that the president currently says, basically abdicates power mm-hmm. and says he doesn't want the responsibility of what the military does, but he wants the uh, uh, ability to per- be perceived as in charge of yeah, the control the and, and, of and, 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 and have the, the might of the military. Mm-hmm. But he always says, I've, I've authorized my military, I've authorized my generals, I've yep. authorized my It's all the joint stuff, chiefs you know? and staff. And, and he's been essentially abdicating, you know, civilian control of the military i mean like so much for civilian control of the military yeah, right. you know i mean that's that's kind of right. an important thing in america but at right. the same time so much for it you know and at the same time um and the war powers yeah oh yeah i mean like the congress has completely yeah. given up their ability yes, to 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 control war and we've been living in a situation where the uh the policy of the authorized use of military force uh a-u-m-f I believe is what it is, um, has been the, the the law of the land, and basically mm-hmm. we 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 now have um, an imperialist sort of executive, uh, uh, oh, yeah. you know, branch and yeah, have for a long time. Yeah. The, like you saw with the the whole transgender 
um, banning sure. transgender people in the military. Like before well, that. Well, he tweeted that. That actually, that actually, like, I don't. Did the generals and like, yeah. even follow that through? They well, I I believe what they did was they didn't they didn't ban people, or maybe it was initially they didn't ban people. They just said we're not paying for any surgeries. We're not going mm. to like keep it on um, the list of you know, covered surgeries within the TRICARE um, health insurance system, which, I mean, honestly, I was on TRICARE for the majority of my life, and it barely covers a P-test, so, like, Hmm. that wouldn't really change a lot of people's lives either way, I don't think. But, interestingly, it was grandfathered in on a lot of things that now um, other health insurance companies are obligated to, like, like free birth control not so under TRICARE or um, like the the transgender thing they've kicked out. There's a lot of little treatments, you know, like holistic things um, like acupuncture, chiropractors, like stuff like that. You pretty much have to be on a military base to get any sort of anything that's almost seen as like non-essential is pretty much it doesn't happen. Um, and the the premiums are quite high so that's that's why it it all goes like it's like this hypocrisy cycle where it's like people think that people join the military for altruistic reasons but it's usually very concrete reasons like benefits then they get in and they realize like oh holy shit these benefits are actually kind of trash and i'm giving up a lot for very little and then they go I mean, not everyone gets to get out of the U.S. during their time in, depending on what branch and where they're stationed and what their specialties are. But for the most part, people get to go out into the world and then they see other cultures and they're like, oh, wait a minute, a lot of U.S. culture is actually trash. And it makes sense that being the people that protect that, we have to deal with a lot of trash. And I don't think I want to support any of that anymore. So then they come back and they have they have PTSD they're probably depressed about a lot of different things. Um, they, they're they screwed by the VA pretty much every day of their lives right. until they finally die, which in my opinion is what the VA really wants because it's a lot cheaper Because then to it's be not dead. their problem anymore. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And then they just say he yeah. gave his all. Right. He gave, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And um, yeah, and so they they just start to turn around and have like all this resentment of like, and so like you think about all that you did give up in like your youth and and all that you almost risked yeah what you put on the line yeah yeah, and and to come back and then try to be like hey it's great to be in the usa like yeah you're not you're probably gonna be like barry i would i would guesstimate Amazing the conversations you have when you take uh, arts criticism seriously. Absolutely, uh, you know. I mean, right? like you didn't, that just opened we, up a whole. Yeah, we, we interesting. Didn't, we didn't. We didn't know, know where we were gonna go, and we got there. But yeah. so check yeah. out Matt's piece about Barry Online, uh, and other reviews such as Katrina Holden Buckley's piece about The Handmaid's Tale at the Boston Lyric Opera, mm. where she writes about how the perversity of The Handmaid's Tale's oppressive allegory lends itself well to opera. Uh, you can check out Kamala Dolanova's piece about. Uh, Black Odyssey Boston, which is a fearless, funny, and fraught reimagining of Homer's Odyssey as the story of the African-American diaspora, uh, diaspora experience, and a ton of other reviews that are uh, supported through you, the listener, and the readers, people who subscribe and support the Arts Views. Um, just to quickly wrap things up, uh, please check out the website, read some stuff. And if you are able and willing to spare some cash and help us out with our annual spring appeal, we're trying to get to 5000 bucks. We're at about 1450 right now. So uh, I believe we can get there uh, before our 12th birthday, <laughs> which comes up in June. 
our editor will thank you. If you give $100 or more, you get an ArtsFuse t-shirt with a Jonathan Swift quote on the back. Just kind of the motto of the magazine. Which Use is the right point, the of, point your pen, of your pen, not, not the, the feather. feather. You know, as, as, no as, feather writing as Matt right. and Deanna have demonstrated in their pieces today about the rise of country rap and as well about the TV show Barry, it sparks lots of different kinds of conversations sure. about um, race, arts, ethnicity, culture, politics, uh, you know, and obviously the shittiness of the VA and mm. U.S. The imperialism, US large. you know, yes, <laughs> so, so uh, please support us in our work and you can continue getting great coverage of the arts in Boston and beyond. And uh, if you'd like to support the show, the podcast specifically, you can go to our Patreon page, which is uh, patreon.com slash the arts views uh, and support us there as well. So say goodbye, everybody. We've been here with Matt Hansen. Goodbye, everyone. Deanna Costa. Goodbye. And I'm Lucas Spiro, and we'll see you next time. Bye.